Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theater because this is Oscar night. And keep your eyes on the losers tonight as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting. Well, the only thing left to say is meet the champion. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we have them talk about the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Danny Vincent. I have two other hosts with me on this very spooky episode. Ooh. Who are How's they? It? How is it spooky? Because the nun is right there. Oh, <laughs> oh, I, I totally said that I was going to do this joke, too, and I didn't. <laughs> Peace be with you. Uh, I'm Sarah. <laughs> Hello. I'm Caleb, and I am practicing inner silence, which will make for a great episode of a podcast. <laughs> Better show some penance later. I accuse myself of podcasting. <laughs> uh, I laughed too much at that. That was funny. Um, all right. So we are beginning 2023 with ending the 1950s in 1959 at the 32nd Academy Awards. Before I list off, this is the time I commemorate it by saying we've reached when my mom was born. Remember how I made a big deal about when we reached when my dad was born? So, anyway, this is going to be a long countdown just because of one film. There was one film that got 12 nominations, and that film was Ben-Hur. And that film won 11 of its nominations. It won Best Picture, Best director for William Wyler. Best actor for Charlton Heston. I'm laughing because I wrote down Ben-Hur won best a- like actor Ben-Hur won for Ben-Hur. Uh, but Charlton Heston won best actor, best supporting actor for Hugh Griffith. Best scoring of a dramatic comedy picture. Best sound, best art direction color, best cinematography color, best costume design color, best film editing, and best special effects. Then there was a film of eight nominations. Um, called The Diary of Anne Frank. It won three of them. It won Best Supporting Actress for Shelley Winters, Best Art Direction Black and White, and Best Cinematography Black and White. And then there was a film with eight nominations and no wins, and that film is titled The Nun Story. Sarah, what was The Nun Story nominated for? Uh, yeah, so The Nun Story was nominated for Best Picture and lost to Ben-Hur, Best Director for Fred Zinneman, who lost to William Wyler for Ben-Hur, um, Zinneman was nominated five more times. Uh, he won four for Best Director and Best Picture and Best Documentary Short. Uh, Best Actress for Audrey Hepburn, who lost to Simone Signore for Room at the Top. Um, Audrey Hepburn was nominated three more times and, of course, won for Roman Holiday plus a Jean Herschel Humanitarian Award. Uh, Best Adapted. Whoa, she never won another competitive one? I didn't know that. Sorry, no. go on. That's crazy. Uh, best Adapted Screenplay for Sorry. Robert Anderson, uh, who lost to Neil Patterson for Room at the Top. Uh, Anderson was also nominated for I Never Sang for My Father in 1971. Best Cinematography Color for Franz Planer, who lost to Robert Surtees for Ben-Hur. Uh, he was nominated four more times. Best Editing for Walter A. Thompson, who lost to Ralph E. Winters and John D. Dunning for Ben-Hur. He was nominated for... He was also nominated for This Above All in 1942. Best Original Score uh, for a Dramatic or Comedy Picture for Franz Waxman, who lost to our boy, Miklos Rosa for Ben-Hur. 
Uh, he was nominated nine more times and won two. And finally, best sound for George Groves, who lost to Franklin Milton for Ben-Hur. Uh, he was nominated five more times and won two. Now, Caleb, do you want to give historic context or would you like for me to talk about the Oscar ceremony first? Go ahead and talk about the Oscars. All right. So Ben-Hur, 111. This breaks the record that was previously set by Gigi last year, which seems way long in the next week the Scrooge episode. This is a record of most Oscars won in a night still held today, even though now it is tied by Titanic and Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Uh, William Wyler is the third person to win more than two Best Director awards. And he's the most recent person to win two Best Director awards, more than two Best Director awards. Will a third person join him this year? I guess we'll find out next month. Or two months from now, I, I don't, I don't remember when the Oscars are this year, because um, obviously Mr. Spielberg is going for his third this year. Oh, the other two were Frank Capra and John Ford. He is the only person to date to direct three Best Picture winners as well, William Wyler, which is of course Ben Hur, then Mrs. Miniver, and the Best Years of Our Lives. Uh, then finally, the highlight of the ceremony came during a present. I, I love. My favorite part of the show is when I just pull up the Wikipedia for the Oscars and I read it verbatim, um, was when the Adapted Screenplay Award, oh, sorry, Original Screenplay Award was presented. Um, and there are two writers who wrote it, um, Stanley Shapiro and Maurice Richland. Uh, Maurice Richland handed a piece of paper to Tony Curtis that was Shapiro's acceptance speech, which read, I'm trapped down in the gentleman's lounge it seems I have rented a faulty tuxedo. I'd like to thank you upstairs to great honor. Now, Wikipedia editorializes that the audience roared in laughter. Are you do you, you think can actually that's so you can go and you can you can go and you can watch this clip on YouTube, which I did today because I was looking for clips for our new theme song mm. uh, coming next week. Um, so if you're curious, I guess they roared with laughter. I, I, that's an adjective. Um, also, the humanitarian award went to Bob Hope, who hosted this year as well. So there you go, Bob. Good thing they got you in. And to me, this is interesting. They gave the honorary Oscar to Buster Keaton. So good for Buster. I also right. said adjective. I said adjective. I definitely meant to say verb. Lita Forrest also won um, an honorary Oscar because he helped with sound on film. But I think the Buster Keaton one is more like, ha, Buster Keaton, you know? But yeah. Can we also talk about the clip that I watched on YouTube, which was the Best Actress winner? Because oh, I didn't know there were clips. Go on, sorry. This race is pretty insane, to be honest. Yeah, it is very crazy. I'm before, you showed it to me, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's a stacked race. And they so, Simone Signore won. Also in this category was Doris Day, Audrey Hepburn, of course, Catherine Hepburn, and Elizabeth Taylor. Talk about an underdog. Well, I gotta say though, looking at this category, I'm to hyperanalyze the 1959 Oscar race. I will point out that Catherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor probably cancel each other out because they're in the same movie. I think the Academy, I I think the Academy definitely expected Doris Day to win because Rock Hudson presented the award. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm looking at the I'm like, oh yeah, Doris Day Pillow Talk. I haven't seen the movie, but I know that's like the movie that like she is known for, so. Yeah, a little, little bit of a surprise there. Did Doris Day ever win? I don't know. She See, sang Doris K Sarah Sarah, and I think that won. Doris Day. I wonder. 
She got a Golden Globe, Cecil DeMille. Uh, no, this is her. It looks like this is her only nomination, and mm. only win. Maybe I'm wrong, but it looks like it. So, I wonder um, if uh, Be Kind Rewind has done a video on this year's race. I bet. I bet they have. Um, y'all ready for some? What? Oh, 1959. That's all I said. Yeah, this is her only nomination. I was double checking. Okay. Yes, I'm ready. Sorry. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, as y'all know. This movie has some scenes in the Congo, Belgian Congo specifically, because at the time this movie was uh, is set, it was a still a colony of Belgium. However, early in 1959, when this movie was uh, before this movie was released, the start of the the event that kind of got the ball rolling with Congolese independence happened, and that was the Leopoldville riots, which were riots based in Leopoldville, which were um, brought on because the government was stopping uh, some protesters from assembling and uh, lasted for a little while. At least 49 people were killed, but it was probably as high as you know a couple hundred. And this led to... Um, some uh, a peace conference in Brussels, which eventually led to the Democratic Republic of Congo being founded in June 30th of 1960. So it's interesting, to me at least, that this movie is kind of, if you know, a 1959 audience would be going into this movie and they'd be seeing the Congo as not just kind of a colonial setting, but like a pretty relevant and modern uh modern setting all right should we talk about the nun story yes. it's really funny if sarah was like nah let's, let's talk about something else uh, uh i just keep thinking about the nun now the nun too the nun too i'm excited i, I might actually see it now no, i'm pretty excited for the nun too too are you excited for the nun too too <laughs> you know, I, I haven't I haven't seen original recipe none, so well, maybe it's I should. Ch- it's written by the writer of Megan and Malignant. That's why it works. Oh <laughs> yes, then, yes, I am. I am really excited for the nun too. Then oh, I, don't think you'll need, I hope you don't have to see the original. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm kind of tempted to just not. <laughs> I have to hope it's been long. Well, I've enough. already seen. Be... <laughs> I've already seen the prequel, so I'm good. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the Conjuring too, so. Oh, I meant I meant the nuns. Oh, the nuns' story. Yes. Uh, yeah, they're using CGI Audrey Hepburn as the villain in the new horror movie. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't give them ideas. So, what did you guys think of the nuns' story? I liked it quite a bit. Um, it's, you know, it it's long. It's got certain, like a lot of these movies, got certain sections that I have to raise my eyebrows at. It leans into the colonialist ideas of uh, of these characters sometimes, but what ultimately it kind of provided for me was like a little bit of catharsis around like deconstruction and stuff through a very detached lens, um, which I'm sure we can talk more about when we get into the specifics. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I really liked it. <laughs> I've never seen a Audrey Hepburn movie that I don't like. I'm laughing because my issues with the movie, I, I did not enjoy this watch. 
but it's definitely one of those things where I didn't enjoy it, but I also think there's cracks here, but ultimately if I didn't like it, I'm not going to like it. And I understand what this movie is trying to do. I find it very grueling and depressing and frustrating and sad. <laughs> and at the end, when she finally gets out, I'm like, yeah, but like everyone she loves is dead by now. So everything like she should have figured this not out. Not everyone. Not everyone. Little Isn't Pierre's alive, just one right? person's dead. Yeah, but it's her dad. Whatever. I just she still the got the doctor. Thing. Yeah, like a woman's gonna be. I, I sorry, that was the whole thing to me. I don't, like to me this whole thing. Even though yes, it's about religion, just felt to me like this massive like kind of intentional kind of like this is the way the times indictment of the patriarchy and how this woman has to go become a nun to do all this and maybe that's not actually in the text of the film but that was the vibe i was getting heavily from it i'm sure someone's gonna smack me down with historic context but i think the way the film presents it is that way where i was like this poor woman has to go through so many hoops just to go treat people in the congo and then she's sent to the people she doesn't want to help which admittedly is a very like she wants to go help. I'm just going to say the words of the movie. She wants to go help the savages. So kind of iffy in that, that regard too, but it's just like, I just find this the story about a woman who wants to do something and has constantly thrown these, the system at her. And eventually she finally chooses to leave the system. But then at the end, I'm like, well, she probably isn't able to do what she wants anymore. And she wasted all the best years of her life, which I get is probably the point of the movie, but it just made me sad. Hmm. This is the reverse of the crowd episode. This is the reverse of the crowd episode where I kept yelling at you guys, this is what the movie's about. And you're like, but no, it's still bad. And this is where I'm going to be like, no, I still don't like this the entire time, probably. I don't know. I don't... <laughs> to me, I... Obviously, there was some content in here that was a little bit iffy in terms of colonialism and stuff. But I never got the impression... To me, like, I don't know, maybe I'm ignorant. I thought it was a beautiful portrayal of the Congolese people. I love seeing all of them. I mean, obviously, you know, talking about converting them is kind of gross. But, like, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting that they shot on location. I think that it's a really good mirror of Audrey Hepburn's life. She, she, she didn't go to the Congo later in life, but she spent a lot of time in Ethiopia and South Sudan. So, I don't know, to me, like, yeah, it's kind of depressing, but it's kind of like, to me, it was kind of a hopeful ending because it's like she kept being told that she couldn't do these things and she did them anyway. See, so that's to me, it's kind of like she did them anyway. She obviously loved this guy. She loved her her fellow sisters. She still remembered her family. So to me, it was just kind of like, I don't know, I consider it kind of a hopeful thing. And I think part of it is because I did kind of read up on who the book was about and the book the woman, she ended up, you know, having a good life. She became best friends with Audrey Hepburn. So did, did she write the That's book or did someone else write the book? Somebody wrote the book about her, but it was like her okay. friend. So I don't know. I, I, thought, mean, I thought it was more hopeful. I thought it was solemn, but I thought it was hopeful. But see, that's, I do think the final shot is great. I do think it's like got a great final shot. But part of me is like, well, it's better she... than the searchers. <laughs> Okay, I've actually still not seen The Searchers, but I did have that thought cross my mind because of the many mentions in film class about it. But I don't know. I guess if you examine any movie that examines the system as sad, which I do think this movie obviously ultimately comes down to is like this system is not great. Um, 
but I don't know. I just kept getting depressed by like the other women that were like caught in it. It felt very. This is this is going to be an interesting conversation too, because to me the whole thing, and you know I have a religious background. I come from a very um, organized religion, like. The religion my parents belong to is the Evangelical Free Church of America. Caleb is giving me <laughs> lucky eyes. It's like, I don't know if we want to get into heavy religion talk here. No, I'm, I'm, fi- I'm going I lo- for it. I love getting into heavy stuff. I just never realized that was the <laughs> denomination so, you grew up so in. So <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I still believe that in some way that I believe that there is a God. Sure. Yes, definitely. But... I look at this system and I just look at all these people trapped in it, repeating talking points that are hurting themselves. And she might escape, but you know what? The the woman who went to go and was like, told her, hey, you should fail your exam and throw away your life's dreams to be more humble to God. Like she's still doing exactly what she's going to do. And yes, there are good people in the system too, but much like most cop movies these days that are smart, there is no way to fix the system from within. <laughs> What if I told you that after this movie came out, there was an abundance of nuns that, that ended up quitting Nundo? Oh, okay. Did that happen? If yes. so, that's good. If so, that's great. I, I wholly <laughs> endorse that from this film. That doesn't change my thought that this film is depressing as shit. So. <laughs> also, I'm not sure this film is against like the Catholic Church and like nunnery as a profession like because there is that kind of crossing crossing of the threshold but also passing of the torch at the end where there's a there you know there's a just normal nurse who's talking about taking the habit and sister luke encourages that and she's like i hope you succeed where i failed and i think you know this is very complicated for me like i said i got a certain amount of catharsis and closure from the ending, which I, I'm not sure we want to get into now. Um, but I am very suspicious of the church as it's presented in this movie, but I think I'm more suspicious than the movie is. I would agree. And I would say that's the reason the movie doesn't work for me. (laughs) I don't know. Like I, I to me, I was raised Catholic quote unquote, as in like sometimes we went to church and like I went to religious ed. And to me, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my problems with authority came from <laughs> came from religious ed. To me, it was just like it was very similar to like my like my, you know, church experience where it was like, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. If you do this, you're sinning. And it's just like to me, that's like what completely drove me out of religion in general. So See- are you know. saying that it has no? I'm actually very interested. Sorry, we will talk about the movie. But I, I'm really interested in going down that route because one movie I kept thinking about during this is like I'm like okay, so movies I've seen about nuns. This movie obviously, Sound of Music, which doesn't really count because it's you know it's a big musical. But then I thought a movie that I know you don't like, Sarah, is the most modern depiction of nuns I've seen is in Lady Bird, right? Aren't those nuns in the who are teachers at the school because they're like referred to as sisters? Or am I totally wrong and I don't know how Catholicism works? I don't know. I wasn't taught oh. by I wasn't taught by nuns. I was taught by moms no, who were volunteering. I, it was just like in. The, I just. I'm I sure mean, there's probably, been reform the church was, since 1959. <laughs> I mean, probably they were because the, there was a priest in Lady Bird. So I'm assuming that they were sisters. 
But my whole thing was like, I'm like, there has to have been like reform, but then also like, well, the whole appeal of like nunnery is well, I mean, besides of course, like it brings you closer to God, obviously, but it is like this thing that has been done this way for years and years and years. And of course, we're going to like, you know, we're not going to like not have nuns use the internet or you, you know, like we are going to evolve with the times. But oh, and I guess I've seen Come to the Stable, which I'm also not going to count for a depiction of nunnery. I'm wondering and if I've seen the nun. I've seen the... I'm wondering like if this movie drove people away from being nuns, if like Sister Act 2 brought them back. Back in the habit? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> The Catholic Church set up booths like they did, uh, like the Navy did with Top Gun. <laughs> I, uh, just so we name all nun movies, Danny, there's also Black Narcissus, which if you want a movie that is anti the church. Okay, see, see the here's the thing. is the two movies that I thought of when I was watching this, and I haven't seen either of these movies, but I know what they're about, is Benedetta and Novitiate. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wait, what's the second one? I, Novitiate. Oh. The one with... <laughs> you know that um spoiler alert for mark who's listening to this i'm sure that i did notice comes up on the letterbox game of the men's story <laughs> uh, well no no novich and uh um black narcissus come up uh but i, I was like oh that's that's the first benedetta is not i'm sorry but no that was the first time i thought about that movie was when I was looking at the letterbox game with people, but I'm sorry, since trailers were coming out for that movie. <laughs> I did get a lot of trailers for that movie. <laughs> okay. I will do my part now and talk about my religious background, which I'm pretty sure I've done on this podcast before. I was raised Baptist, Southern Baptist specifically, uh, and like full on homeschooled. All of our books mentioned Jesus. My dad worked for the biggest. Baptist publisher. I was at church. My mom eventually started working at the church we went to. When I've worked at that church, like that church was my my social life, my economic fortitude for a while. It was a lot of things. I no longer go to that church. I no longer am a Southern Baptist. I am, you know, I'm still practicing. I go to a small little queer affirming church down the road. But there has the the slow roll exit out of evangelicalism has been a difficult balance of me wanting to burn like everything to the ground and me having a respect for the people who got me to like the places in my life. Because I will acknowledge that as far as things go, I was pretty lucky in how I was treated within the church. There were problems, but Overall, you know, I, I definitely benefited from it. And so I kind of see that in the last 10 minutes, as Sister Luke is signing the paper, as she's trying to get talked out of it, once she signs that paper, the priest leaves and the nun immediately just shuts off to her. And when she has to, like, you know, change out of the habit and eventually leave the the building, there's no one there. They they like robo open the door and she has to walk out alone. And in a lot of ways, that is what I have felt walking away from the church. Now, it is not as extreme in my mind, in my case, because, you know, I wasn't fully integrated into the church. 
in the sense that it's like it wasn't where I was sleeping and eating and all that stuff. And I had a lot of ties outside of the church. But still watching that sequence still like really resounded with me. Cause I I like there was a specific action she did, and I forget exactly what it was, but I was like, oh, I basically oh, it was she put the keys like she put her nun keys down on the table. It's like, oh, I did that a couple months ago when I quit a job. And like everyone at that job, I played it off very diplomatically. So they all were like, he's just going on to a better career path, which is true. But I was really quitting that job because that job probably would have killed me eventually. So I don't know. I, I understand there's a lot of reservations about this movie. And I, I hear those. And I think that there's a lot of problems that we can talk about. But just for those last 10 minutes, I love this movie. I do think it has a good ending. Yeah. I also think it has a good beginning. Well, <laughs> it's to me, at a certain point where I'm just like, oh, I'm done. You know? I don't but, know. To me, I. For me, I kind of like the ending actually did kind of make me emotional too. And I don't really know why, but I think what, and ironically, because of who I am and what I believe, but I think for me, it felt really powerful to me because she was walking away from this institution, but she obviously still wanted to have a relationship with God. And to me, I just found that to be really refreshing. It's kind of like, I don't know. It, it was. It's kind of like walking away from a, an abusive relationship or something. Like she still has that love that she's capable of of feeling and giving, um, but it's just not toxic anymore. So I think that's kind of what made me emotional about it. Is it still is this positive portrayal of someone who believes in God, which I completely respect, despite what I believe, and I I really appreciate a positive portrayal like that because usually I just find them to be really negative. <laughs> so. I would agree this movie has a lot of nuance, especially to its lead character. Um, mainly that. <laughs> but I do think, yeah, I would agree the final scene is powerful and strong. I just wish it didn't take so long to get there. Because <laughs> that's really what it is to me. Is, and I've talked to Caleb about this off mic before, but I have, I don't know what the word for it is, but I have a moment, you know, like where you can keep piling shit on my main character. But once you get too far, I immediately lose interest. <laughs> and I do think this movie hits that very specifically when we get to the con not when we get to the Congo itself. So I like the scene, but when she's told, oh yeah, you're gonna be working at the White Ho- Hospital with this asshole. And at that point, I'm just like, well, <laughs> I don't like I and again, it is this very complicated feeling where it's like all this is rooted in colonialism, but it's also like, no, it's what you wanted to do. <laughs> like, I don't know. And I get why it's I understand story structure. I just didn't like it. But I get where you guys are coming from. We can break down the plot now. <laughs> um, yeah, so the movie opens up with... Um, I'm completely forgetting her name before she... It's Gabby. Gabby. <laughs> Where's Gabby? <laughs> we don't spend a lot of time with her, Gabby outside of the convent as the thing because almost immediately um, is established that she is going to the convent she is going to become a nun, and her goal is to uh, help in the Congo. Her dad is a very well-respected um, doctor, and so she kind of wants to follow in medicine. Um, and so the first kind of act of this movie is her at the convent 
and learning about the the holy rule and specifically like the breakdown of the self. I think you can read it in a couple different ways. It's either breaking down like the love of self or like the sense of self. But to me, this first part felt very much like a uh, like a stereotypical uh, army movie where you where you start in boot camp and you have to break down the break down the individual so that they fit into this hole. But of course, in this movie, it's framed as a yeah an, a spiritual discipline. See, and maybe it's just, maybe it's just my issue of nuns. It's just my issue with the system. Is I just this is where I was like, this is so depressing. It's like these women are being taught to hate themselves for having individual thoughts, and like. I, I don't want to call the entire like existence of nunnery as cultic, but that is what this reminds me of is seeing like scenes from The Handmaid's Tale, the few scenes of The Handmaid's Tale I've seen or stuff like that, where it's just like, I get that this is something that happens. And this movie is probably doing a big service to depicting it this way. But I don't know. It reminds me of what my dad said when we were watching Ted Lasso over Christmas, where he was like, I can't watch this. There's no hope at all, which I don't really understand with Ted Lasso, but I definitely <laughs> got here. <laughs> I think even as a non-sequitur, it's best, but it's true. It happened. <laughs> I just, I can't believe I'm going to say this. There's no hope this. that Richmond will win. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this. I... I don't know. I feel like the movie, there were some parts where I was like, this is effed up. Like when she has to like kiss their shoes and stuff, I was like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, I'd be walking out the door. But I think that a key moment happens at the end when she, I think that it's, it's very much an internal struggle. I understand that the outside forces are kind of sucky, but like at the end when she's talking to, when she's confessing and she says, I can't do it anymore. I cannot be a nun. And the, the father says, I think you're being too hard on yourself. And I think the entire idea, again, this is maybe something that I was taught more so in Catholicism, but it's like you are going to sin constantly. And I think the idea is that the nuns have to accept that. And I think for Gabby, Sister Luke, it was difficult because she she was kind of internalizing it and acting like she had to completely change herself. And I think the idea is that you can kind of, not you, you can sin whatever you want to, but like, you're allowed to kind of kind of in the Congo when they were all friendly with each other and they all had, you know, goals and fun and stuff. I think that like the idea that I got from this movie, I don't know what it's like for real nuns, is that you can sin as long as you are conscious of it. And there's I think there's something to being aware of your faults. And I think that like in this movie, they have to write down their uh what they've done wrong and then they have to confess it to the mother superior um and i think i don't know not growing up catholic i've always had kind of a fascination with like confession and just like at setting time aside to acknowledge what you've done wrong or you know even sin is such a loaded word just we're like maybe you let discipline slip a little but and so I think there's kind of a fine line that the movie explores a little bit between like that as a way of like relieving you of that fault and then that making like you solely focus on it and you become like this just very self-conscious 
unit. I, I hear what you guys are saying, but then it's also just, to me, it is like, I feel like she's very clearly struggling and no one is reaching out to help her. And at the beginning when she comes in, she's like, oh yeah, I'm not going to help the, the nun that she's friends with beforehand, the older nun who's like a mentor to her. She's like, yeah, I'm not going to talk to you for the next year and a half, except for like how to be a nun. And it just feels so inhumane. And I understand that like, yes, they're trying to become God and be- to become like God is to become less human in a way. <laughs> and at least in the way this is depicted, the religious beliefs are. But I just see so much clear self-loafing being introduced into these women. And again, it's, I get it. I get it's a part of the system of like, you need to be, I'm not saying, I don't want to imply that today nuns are being taught to hate themselves because that's not what I think. I don't believe, I don't think this movie thinks that because I think you guys are right. I think in particular when we go, and we'll get to this, but when we go to Brussels and she has someone there who talks to her about it, that nun seems like she has so much, like her shit is together. Like, you know, (laughs) like, and she seems way more kind and like thoughtful. But then it's just, I don't know. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm repeating myself <laughs> and I, I feel bad. I feel like it makes for poor content as they say. No, I think, I mean, I think the movie is inviting you to question a lot of this stuff. And maybe that's just because I tend to question, you know, religious structures so, you know, I'm I'm kind of sitting back and constantly being like, why are they saying poverty when they have like one of the wealthiest religious institutions giving them everything they need? Like I understand they don't have personal possession, but like every you know, I, I question a lot of this stuff. But I think once you do get to Brussels and even some parts in the first act, you're it's it's willing to be like, no, there there's multiple ways of doing things. And it doesn't come down on one side or the other, but I think that's kind of where the power lies is it it trusts you to come up with your own opinion on it my opinion is it's bad no (laughs) but then um i think we can go then to she gets her name which is sister luke which whatever i think a lot of my issues with this is like i hate nuns i guess I guess it's just the truth of this. Um, I'm really glad my aunt's on vacation right now. She'd be over here and go ahead like, what are you talking about? My aunt's a super Catholic. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, and then she goes to take, um, well, she goes for classes first, right? Because she you have to do some formal classes before you take your exam or whatever. Right. Because she wants to go do, what is the, because the, they actually use, I was impressed with the science in this movie because I'm so used to Madame Curie being like, oh, yes, the science. And just moving straight on. I am i didn't know anything they were talking about in this movie, which makes me think it was all accurate. <laughs> didn't they talk? Are we talking about the same movie? Didn't they, Madame Curie, didn't they talk about it like way too much? I thought they, I thought they, I didn't think they did. I Maybe don't I misremember they, Madame Curie. Something was very movie. boring in it's that movie. I don't movie. know what it was. <laughs> Listen, Madame Curie made made the science boring and also didn't explain it well. <laughs> it did both. Well, my point is, in this, it's just like a throwaway line where it's like, yeah, the stuff will flutter. You know what I mean? Like, they use the big words very quickly and then they move on. It's like, okay, so you know what you're talking about, but we're not spending too much time on it, right? 
And this is the scene where I was kind of alluding to it earlier, where she's assigned to tutor another nun who's come back from the Congo on the exams because they need to, I guess, be recertified every year, I assume. I don't know. I don't know why she was taking her exams, really. But it was implied she'd already been to the Congo and this person was coming back to take the class again or whatever. And she's tutoring it and she's told that the person is getting annoyed with her because, well, it's obvious because she's smart, right? It's because she's the daughter of uh, a very well-known doctor, but she doesn't actually like Ivor. She doesn't, uh, and that is very like, like I'm definitely like, I get it. Like you don't want to be sent anywhere just because of your dad. Definitely. Um, but you, you know, she's smart. You got that impression? I yeah, thought she didn't. Did. I thought she was very. I mean, I thought she was proud of who her dad was, and that was why she kept saying. That's why she didn't say it because she was being prideful. She didn't want to be prideful, but I think she really wanted to be a doctor. No, I think she wanted to be a doctor too, hundred percent. I just don't think. I think there's a lot of moments in the movie where she's like, "Don't call me that," and I yes, I get that she's a nun, but she does to me. Hepburn does not play that like, you know, she's like being conflicted. She's not like. Don't call me that. You know, she's not smiling when she says that. She, she, she it, it does want to be, it's interesting because in that regard, I think she does want to be like, you as her own individual, whereas like we're told constantly, like these nuns are like, you're sacrificing the individual for God. Um, but it, it, they also, it, it's interesting just to word it like that, but also like you can see how they relate. Anyway, she goes to help this person. Um, they both clearly are getting a note of each other. And then, she goes to talk to, I think, the head nun? Or some, no, not the head nun. It's like a sister, not the head nun. Because that, she's like, it's, you have it's to the me. mother of that branch. Oh, it's Mother Emmanuel? I don't no, know. no, but there are different mothers. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. I, again, I'm not, I'm not Catholic. <laughs> this episode's showing it. I'm just going, I hate Catholics. Uh, <laughs> uh, we should put the disclaimer on it saying Damien does not hate Catholics. Maybe your aunt should be here. She can fact check us. <laughs> she can just break through the door from Florida. Like, Danny, what are you saying? But the nun gives her, the mother, the mother gives her this. And she's like, well, I've heard same complaints from the person you're helping. And she thinks you're being a little too prideful. Perhaps you should fail this exam to show true humbleness before God. And this is to me. And I, I, I can see you guys. This is a, this is an audio medium. But right now. Caleb is holding his head in anger. Sarah's given a big wince. Uh, so I think we're all in agreement that this scene got us mad. But like, it, it, and I, I, it's supposed to. It's definitely supposed to get you infuriated. But like, it, it, it really, because it's like, you know, I know that we're training Sister Luke to become the most resilient person to God. But you know, if this other person came to complain first about needing help and being scared. Clearly their faith in God is not quite there either. (laughs) Yeah, because they're worried that she'll take her spot. And I'm like, well, that sounds pretty, that sounds pretty prideful. That sounds like it's based in insecurities. Not very humble of you, sister, whatever your name is. But also, I'm sorry, wouldn't, wouldn't flunking an exam be a type of lying which you're also not supposed to do. My whole thought was if God puts people where they're supposed to be and she clear, and I know people should be like, well, no, you don't, you don't know actually where you're supposed to be. No, no. 
I was about to like really drop like a big swear on this podcast, which I know I can't do if I can say ever swears. I'm like, no, forget you. If you know you're going, you're a great scientist, and there is an epidemic going on in the Congo, and you want to go help in the Congo, and you went to become a nun to do this partially, and you are doing it because God gave you these gifts to help others, you cannot say. Oh, flunk it, and do, we'll find something else for you. No, don't settle for... <laughs> that's not settling, because settling, I know settling is a part of pride. Like, I get that. But, like, don't be like, yeah, I'm going to do something else so that way this other girl can feel better. No, God would want... Like, I don't want to be, like, assuming what God would want, but God put you in an unring because you're good at science. I think we can all assume you're supposed to use your God-given talents, but maybe this is maybe this is my evangelicalism upbringing. Beyond maybe Catholics believe that maybe maybe these, this woman. I don't want to. I keep saying Catholics, but I really should not be doing that. Maybe this particular woman believes everyone has. Maybe she doesn't believe in like having gifts and talents that you can serve God with. Maybe she believes that we all are base people. I'm just, I'm just talking about this one character, Caleb. Caleb's giving me a look. I'm talking about this one character. Maybe she believes we all have the same peak. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm being like severely right wing right now, and I don't know. Maybe this is Joe Rogan. I don't know what's going on right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you can be as. Sorry, Sarah, you go. I was just saying my experience, like Catholic, like they just, they just make stuff up. Like, like if she's in a position, I mean, I'm serious. Like if she's in a position of authority, it's always like, they're like, well, God said that you need to do this. Like, that's just like, I don't know. Like the Pope is always saying stuff. That's like, did you guys hear about this? And it's like, you're just making this up. Like, so that's just, I mean, that was my impression. Just this woman was like, I'm going to make her do this. Cause I'm in charge. Like that's just kind of my impression of it. I think it's perfectly fine for you to get mad at this scene, Danny, because it's something you're supposed to get mad at. She like, this is the first time she really actively goes against, like, it's not a small infraction. She actively she cries. I was so mad. I get why she's crying, but I get mad that she's mad at herself. Sorry, go on. But <laughs> I understand, right? Because like, you know, there's this one guy, nice enough guy, but like, when I was going to church with him and he was, you know, he thought that their God had a plan for me and he kept berating me about it. Berating's a strong word. You know, got me at an emotionally vulnerable point one night. I started crying about it. Like, I get it. There are assholes who are just going to like, I don't even want to say exploit because I think this, you know, I think what that guy was doing to me was like Alva genuine, you know, concern for me. Uh, but he was wrong. And I think that's the same thing here. And so I think it's like a very important part when she decides she's not going to follow this mother's advice. And also then right after that, she goes to Brussels and the mother there tells her, yeah, that was a dumb thing for her to say. You did the right thing, not flunking the exam. Is that before or after though, her scene with the archangel? That is before. Okay. Okay. Because the Archangel Joel, she also says, she also stops Sister Luke from berating herself too much. I, I, yeah, you're right. And I like that character um, because she's the one, the one sane nun uh, to me, in, at least until, until we go to the Congo. Until we go to the Congo. But in the Congo, most of the people are chill, I would say. 
even Peter Finch, who we'll get to. But I just, I don't This scene does remind me of a very traumatizing moment in college, but it's... Well, go on. Well, Unless you don't want to tell it on Mike, but you don't. No, have to. it was just something <laughs> in class. It was just, it was a whole thing. It's not, it's like very marginally related, but it is kind of like the situation where somebody complains first and I didn't get to complain on time. Where like we were doing a project and somebody who very obviously didn't like me said to our professor that I was not helping, even though I was like trying to talk to them the entire time. And they made like a separate group chat for our group. And and then the professor was like, well, this person. And it was like, I obviously knew who the person was. Because I, like, I knew I knew who had a vendetta for me. Um, <laughs> but like, he was like, this person was very professional in how they talked to me. And I'm like, I look back on that moment and I'm like, why didn't I? I mean, I was like going to cry. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> but like, I look back on that moment and I'm like, I'm like, I want to ask, like, how is that professional? They didn't talk to me. Um but anyways, I got a C in the class, my only C in college. So don't trust Favorite. other people. I it really <laughs> does. This movie reminds me of, and I won't I won't get too much into this because I've actually talked about this extensively on my other podcast, but it just reminds me a lot of the gaslighting that just comes from like growing up among and I and again, <laughs> I know this is what the movie's intended to do. It just it's too dang long. <laughs> it does it too much. And it does it too hard. <laughs> I don't know, but like, don't, don't you feel, I don't know, man. I don't want to project onto you what I felt when, when that stuff happened, some of it was hard to watch, but it made me feel even more like proud and glad when sister Luke did fight back, even if she wasn't feeling that. Because I could see like the pieces leading up to what was eventually going to happen. It's, I, to me, well, I'll I'll get to why it feels hollow at the end to me, because it it's at the end, which I do like, but it feels hollow to me in a way, which we'll get to when we get to it. Because I do want to talk about the Archangel, which is never seen, where she tries to help someone by giving them water. And then she's in. She gets a, in. Yes, you go. You go. Yeah, you saw the movie today. I watched it yesterday. So yeah. So after she refuses to flunk out of the exam, that the other three nuns in her class get sent to the Congo, and she gets sent to Brussels to be uh, an assistant in a sanatorium. Um, and there is a one of the patients there has bipolar disorder, and also thinks that they are the Archangel Gabriel. Or it might be one of the archangels. It's Gabriel. It's Gabriel. Yeah. Um, and so the nun and Gabriel Akila Cooper, yeah. we love you. <laughs> Shout out <laughs> again. She's, um, she's warned. Uh, it's like, hey, the procedure here is you never open one of these doors without another person present. Um, but she goes ahead and does it to give this glass of water and is attacked by. Um, by Archangel Gabriel. If I say Gabriel, I'm just gonna take a moment. <laughs> and then she beats herself up over this too, going, "How?" I guess the way you explained it makes it sound way more valid. But to me, I was just kind of like, I, "I think everyone." And 
I never mind. The movie does catch up with me. I can't be too mad about it because the movie does eventually get there. But it's just, I just think self-loathing is hard to watch always. Well, I feel like and, if you're if you're in a situation like that when you're told don't do this, don't do this, and you do something because you think it's the right thing to do, and it turns out to not be the right thing to do, of course you're gonna be upset with yourself. Of course you're gonna be like, why did I do that? I don't remember. I, you're right, 100% right. There was something very specific in the dialogue that bothered me here that I don't remember and I don't have the film in front of me to point out. It's Well, I, you're wrong. I, 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 okay, I, I can take this loss because I think I'm right. No, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> as I said, this does lead into the scene with, or it's after the scene with the mother that is actually very supportive of her, which I like. I like her. She's good. She. Yeah, I forget if it's the mother in Brussels or the mother in Congo, but I think it's the mother in Brussels who has a comment about how Sister Luke needs to learn how to bend so she doesn't break. And kind of that's the first time the film acknowledges, hey, don't follow the rules. <laughs> Sometimes dogma is bad. Well, then we go. It is beautifully shot. I will give it that. The there's definitely a. Well, I mean, I, I I will say that I don't think I'm equipped enough to talk about how a film in 1959 talks about the Congo. That said, there are multiple moments throughout this entire segment where I feel very uncomfortable with not the, not not what I'm saying earlier, where I'm saying I'm uncomfortable with like. I hate that this movie's torturing the main character so much. I'm feeling uncomfortable in how this film talks about the native people of the Congo and not in a way that it is because I a hundred percent believe that, you know, these nuns would have um, superiority complexes to the air quote savages there. Do I think the film itself Think there's an issue with that. That is my my issue. And I think you guys would probably be with me on this. That well, there are iffy moments here. <laughs> I don't I don't disagree, but I do think kind of what I was saying before. I don't think that we see that from Sister Luke. Like I think she goes there with the intention of helping these people, and she wants to be. She doesn't want to be in the segregated hospital. She wants to be actually with the Congolese people, and she never really talks about converting them. Like she just wants to help them and she wants to work with them and she is entranced by the people. Is the concept of converting like a major plot point and, you know, everybody's saved, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Is that attitude still present today? Yes. So I don't know. I find, I, I don't want to say that I'm like glossing over it. I just find a lot of, I find this part to be really, I don't know. I thought it was interesting to watch. Like I said, I thought it was really interesting to look at the Congolese people um, to just kind of see these natural environments they're shooting. Um, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I I love the way it's shot. I'm not arguing with that. I'm also um, I don't remember his name, but the main Congo Congolese person who she walks around, I think his role in the movie is interesting, even though I do think some of it is kind of parroting this weird ideology. But I also think the actor's really good, and I th- I'm I pretty sure the actor's American, though, right? I'm pretty sure he is. I'm I'm a, 
probably is, but I'm unsure. I don't know the name of the character or I'd look it up. Um, it's probably either. Well, I see Congo. Oh, no, he's not. He's from Trinidad from and Trinidad, Tobago. Yeah. yeah. Errol John to shout him out. We love you, Errol. Oh, he's in Buck and the Preacher. That's a movie I've been meaning to watch for a while. Okay, since Nope came out. Um, he's not a big role in it, but he's in it. In general, yeah, here's the tough thing about the Congo segment, is that up until this, the movie has been willing to, after, after a minute, it takes its time, but it will question the decisions made by the nuns and like their practices and all this stuff. The one thing it never really questions is the colonial attitude they have. And you're right, Sarah, Sister Luke doesn't really openly have any, you know, malintent towards the, uh, towards the Congolese. But I, I still think you, I, I wish the film that had been so willing to question so many things about how the convent had been run would have also questioned the, some of the thoughts based around the colonial aspect of this. The old, then there's the witch doctor who sends someone out to kill one of the nuns. It's a ultimately a minor plot point. We're getting ahead. I do want to talk about that, but can we talk about Peter Finch first? Because isn't that the ending of it? The ending of the yeah, Well, let me, let, me, let me just, oh, sorry, let me sorry, just sorry, say that the witch doctor is the one part that I think is inexcusable because even... Yeah, I, I don't know what the Congo was like back then. Maybe there were witch doctors telling people to go and kill like white people. But at that point, you're telling them that, to kill colonizers. So I'm not yeah. sure I feel like, you know, it's complicated. That reminds me, you know what that, that entire sequence reminds me of is, and this is going to be a very silly comparison point, but it reminds me of the Book of Mormon, like the stage show where, yeah, I actually won't go into this because if you haven't seen the Book of Mormon, I recommend it, although also with the attitude that it's very much written in the, hey, racism is over, so we can joke about uh, Africa now mindset of the 2010s, early 2010s. It reminded me of that. I mean, that obviously it's treated as a joke, and here it's treated dead seriously <laughs> as like, this is an actual thing that could happen to you if you go to Africa. You know? I, do, I do think it's kind of funny, though. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of how much they showed. Like, they showed. Like bam, like right on her head. I the fights in this get kind of brutal at points, yeah. Because again, the the fight with Gabriel, um, it's no Gabriel M. <laughs> it's no police station. It's no, oh, no. it's no jail cell. If they tried to get the real Gabriel in a cell, what happened? That whole sanatorium would Guys, be burning down. Can you down. imagine how much we'd be laughing at this movie if there was a character named Megan in it and we had Megan and Gabriel, <laughs> <laughs> Sister Megan and Archangel Gabriel? <laughs> So, you know, if that, if that was her name, the entire episode would just be us talking about that. Um, but Peter Finch, I do think we should talk about Peter Finch here. Because Peter Finch, I hope we've all seen Network. If not, I hope we've all seen the monologue from Network, at least. I love Network. Um, Peter Finch, um, one of the few actors... To win a posthumous Best Actor award, I didn't, oh, even, acting award I didn't even know that was the same guy. <laughs> oh, I, I, I was looking for him because I love Network. Um, he has so obviously I, it, the titles open of the movie with 
Audrey Hepburn in the nun story. But then the next credit is I don't think it says co-star. I think it says like featuring and it says Peter Finch as Dr. Fortunati, which means like, you know, me and my billing and how I love billing to get your as the character name on. That meant that he was a probably a pretty big deal at the time of this already. Um, I don't actually know Peter Finch's career where it began. I actually know where it ended. Uh, but it does look like the nun story was, yeah, the nun story was his first big American film. Because literally his Wikipedia page has an entire subheadline for his casting in the nun story. Um, but yeah. Um, what do you guys think of his role in the movie? Because I do think he is a very important part of it being like the main non-religious person who interacts with Sister Luke. How do I say this? I feel like when you're a woman and you're young and maybe you haven't been around very many men, you kind of tend to project a certain feeling that you might get with a man. I feel like I'm not saying like I wasn't rooting for them. I just feel like they didn't really have much in common. I feel like his entire purpose was just to make her doubt herself. And to me, that's not very romantic. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think their chemistry was very good, to be honest. I, I know I probably should have read this as a romance. I didn't. I don't think there was like either of them. Like maybe they had a passing thought here or there, but I don't really think that that was something that the that I got from the movie. I I got a professional respect from both of them, especially after she saves the um the head priest. Yeah, yeah. While he is he's out, so she has to operate. Um, and I appreciate how he respects her but not what she's doing to herself like she he's able to kind of point out some of the some of the reasons like he, he wants her to be proud of herself and all this stuff and she, he thinks he he kind of has a lot of um condescending moments to the church in general but I don't feel like that necessarily goes to her like I always feel like there's a certain amount of respect I think all that falls apart if they are supposed to be read as romantic, which is probably what the film wants me to do. But once again, I never really got that. I I was never I also was not in the um romance of you know what I mean? I didn't I never read it as a romance. I thought it was I don't want to necessarily say father daughter type of thing because I definitely think well one, I think they're equals. I think that, I think Peter Finch's character comes in wanting it to be like that type of thing, like look up to me and then he very quickly realizes, oh no She's on my level. And then it's kind of like just a nice platonic friendship. I don't ever think they're going to get together. Uh, and I like the way the rope, not the romance, sorry, the relationship develops. Um, and I think he's very good in this movie. Um, he was almost my pick for an added nom. Um, he's not, but he was almost it. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to bring him up because he's Peter Finch. Obviously, we're talking a lot, a lot about Audrey Hepburn, but Peter Finch, also a legend. <laughs> Would why why can we talk about the men more? Scenes? <laughs> Sorry. Would you say that in some scenes, Peter Finch is mad as hell? 
Yeah, and he's not going to take, gonna take it anymore. It's, he does not sanction this nunnery. I know we were doing for the network thing, but I don't have to say that at some point. <laughs> so then we get to the scene that Caleb was referring to earlier, where a witch doctor tells someone in the Congo to kill a white woman. To well, I don't remember exactly what it doesn't matter. It's this bizarre. He's seen yeah. he's seen his wife's ghost. So he has to kill a white woman. Yeah. Um, and well, why don't you guys explain again? I, I don't, I don't remember the exact details sometimes in this. It's admitted. I just do not retain it unless I take notes on exactly how this goes down that she gets sent back. Oh, well, she gets sent back. Like that's unrelated to this. She gets sent back. VIP. Yeah. A VIP at the hospital is sick enough that they have to take them to back to Belgium and she has to escort them. Well, this happens right after that scene. So my confusion is valid. <laughs> You're going to be like, no, it wasn't. Um, so she gets sent back. There was a Christmas mass in the, in, that separated them. Um, I like the part where they all wave goodbye. But I felt like it was just the... The phone crew actually just waving goodbye to her. Um, actually, you know what I really like about that shot? That's probably my favorite shot of the movie. Because it's all these Congo people, and of course, the nuns and um, Peter Finch waving goodbye. And then there's just these other people who are the people she actually treated because she was at the White Hospital just walking by, ignoring her. And I like that. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to be like, I don't know what it's supposed to mean. But I don't think it's meant to be this big sh- shot with a lot of meaning. But to me, I feel like I-, I think it's supposed to mean a lot to her. You know what I mean? And I like it. I also think it's supposed to cement that it's like she knows she's not coming back here. Yeah. Even though she wants to. Yep. And then she was sent to work during the war. Because we're at World War II now. Where, you know, she, she has to work. She's a nurse. So she has to work during the war. World War II. It's just a fact of life. And we get this cameo by Christopher Nolan where he goes, Dunkirk is happening right now. And basically we reach the ending of the movie. Because Well, importantly, the Nazi the Nazis take over and um the nuns are encouraged to stay out of the war and so that they can just keep the hospital open. However, some of the other non uh, non non nurses there are involved with sneaking out prisoners and refugees and stuff, and that I feel is kind of the thing that pushes. It's fine. It's it's the that and her father dying are the two things that kind of finally push her away um, from the from being a nun. And then it ends with her giving up the nunnery and going up or going out to work in one of the underground hospitals. Yeah. Um, it's very sad. <laughs> the third poverty, I think, to be clear. <laughs> Not like, actually, you know what's actually kind of sad to me here, too, is she gets a letter from her brother where she goes, Little Pierre. And she's like, Oh, no, not little anymore. And then it's like you hear an older man's voice. Like, in the, even though she hasn't met him, but you know, like she hear the older man's voice when the letter's being read out loud. And it's just like, 
dang, she's been at this a while. Because <laughs> her brother's at the beginning of the movie, and he's really young. And now it's, he's, you know, fighting in the war. Um, and then we reach the end of the movie, which we kind of already discussed. Where people keep trying to convince her not to leave. And then she does. Finally. She is, well, sir, you said you looked up the real person this is based off of, right? Yeah. Can I just say that the fact that the nun's story is based off of someone whose last name is Habits? So. Just didn't work out. <laughs> Much like Mark Webb directing that Spider-Man trilogy. Didn't work out. I do think, as this movie is, it's not short, uh, and it definitely takes its time with things. Uh, there's, you know, it, it talks a lot about internal and external silence, and you have a lot of external silence throughout the movie. I felt like they could have spent a little bit more time with establishing what, like establishing her struggle with the church's, um, the church remaining apolitical during the war. Yeah. I felt like that was relevant enough to her to where her character ends up that I could have used an extra 10 minutes. I, the way I would put it is I could have used an extra 10 minutes at the end. If we cut 20 minutes at the beginning, <laughs> that's, that's a high oh, put <laughs> cut the entire, cut the entire leper colony. I think you could easily do that, but that's like the apocalypse now part. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, cause I, I alluded to this earlier that the ending I think I might have I might have even said this before. And if I have, you guys can be like, Danny, you already said this. But I said the ending made me felt hollow. And the reason why is because the movie begins in the late 1920s and it ends obviously either during what during World War II. And to me, it's just like, damn. And I think the makeup on Audrey Hepburn when she takes off the habit is really good to making her look older. And I'm just like, she's wasted so many years of her life here. And she I know she hasn't wasted it. I know she. Did a good job. She did what she wanted to do in the Congo. But, I don't know. That's to me, it's like one of those things where like, she really did spend so much of her life here. The prime years of your life. Even though she didn't live, I look, I just looked this up. Because I you know, Sarah, we, you said you looked it up and I never did. She lived to 1986, the actual nun. So she lived a long life. But, maybe, I, maybe I'm just too used to the modern Oscar movie. Where something like this gets like, when she's walking out, there's words that appear over it. Where it's like, her life became the best-selling novel, The Nun Story. And, like, you know, she currently does this. That's why it kind of feels empty to me. It's like, I wish... I, I know it's, like, one of those things, like, you can't wish, Danny. It's, it's how life happened, you know? I'm still sad. I don't know. I, you know, I, I probably should have kept all my feelings on the end to the end. Okay. Instead of getting them all out at the beginning, I was I, I went in fighting on it, so it's okay. You had to do yeah, it. but there was something there that, yeah, she did spend a lot of time in her life, but when you move, like when you walk away, like after you deconstruct, eventually you have to reconstruct. That doesn't mean reconstructing back into Christianity or anything. It just means you've t- you've torn down like the axioms of your life. You have to figure out what's next. And I like part of that process, I feel like, which is very much a process I'm going through. So I don't know. You know, I, I might fully disagree with what I'm about to say in a year's time. But I feel like a part of that is accepting that you didn't waste time, that 
all that time that there was some there were bad experiences but ultimately like you can't regret what has happened you just have to move forward and that's what she does like she she walks through the searcher's door and you know you it leaves you not knowing what she's doing but you know that the choices she's going to make now are going to be stronger and you know still motivated by her love and her care for others but more um more reflective of herself to be clear i'm chuckling not because everything you said is correct even if i still don't like the movie but you keep on referring to the searcher's door which i get because this is um a movie but really it is i just was like why why am i why have i not like called it the doll's house door because it's definitely more like the end of a doll's house than like the searchers <laughs> i don't oh, want to say i don't want to say what it reminds me of what does it remind you of? Is it Avengers Age of Ultron or the no. Monsters Inc.? No, I just watched this movie. It reminds me of the Hulu movie Not Okay because it literally ends the exact same way where she walks out the door and it's just like silent. And she's clearly, she's okay I'm now, not right? clearly, I'm not cultured. I'm only bringing up the searchers so that I can piss off film bros by saying this is a better ending. I haven't seen the searchers, so I would never know. But you know, I've seen the searchers. Steven Spielberg. All right. I was about to uh, say a professor that I won't name on this podcast. It was also on a great movie ride Ooh. at Disney World, The Searchers. Yeah, if the nun story is so good, why isn't that on the great movie ride? For real. Um, the one Wikipedia thing I wanted to mention, which I thought was funny, is that in 2020, the magazine America. Um, well, I want to point out it says again praise the film, even though nowhere on Wikipedia doesn't mention the original praise from the magazine America. But praise the film, saying it was Hepburn's most overlooked film, and contrasted with like her other roles. But in this article, there was no mention that the late literary editor, um, Father Gardner, supported the source material and was involved in the adaptation. <laughs> I don't know why. I think this is a funny tidbit. America Magazine was biased to the nun story. I'm accusing them. This did win a special achievement Golden Globe. What that means, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't best, really care, honestly. Best nun. Well, there's actually a full article for this, so is there a reason for it? Um, they I gave think a best nun is the best answer. <laughs> it's just outstanding merit. They just gave it. I, I do want to say, cold for the globe, and controversial to say, I know, cold for the globes, but they gave the director of just the chariot race and Ben Hur a special award. Which yeah, have you like, seen the chariot race? It's amazing. Well, what I'm saying though, like the Oscars didn't do that. I I, I haven't seen Ben Hur. I assume the chariot race is amazing. I don't think they ever given like special awards for like the second unit directors of an action movie. You know, because the Globes cool. was like is probably like twelve people that were part of the jury. <laughs> it's interesting to look it up. This is the 17th one, so. Maybe it's just someone was like, we want to give everyone an award. Sorry. I do think it's funny. Like, there are these ones where you can look at them. Maybe it's a Wikipedia. I have to assume it's a Wikipedia um, mistake. But if you look at the Globes page for most promising newcomer, male and female, they both have four listed winners and one loser. I have to assume that's a mistake because that'd be really awkward. Like, there's a four way tie in these categories, guys. Maybe. <laughs> Try not Maybe. be a loser. <laughs> The uh, the chariot race is the Mad Max Fury Road of its day. Hmm. 
Um, this film was not recognized, but I always like mentioning the AFI stuff. Um, they were nominees. It did not rank in any of them for both best film scores and 100 Years, 100 Cheers, which I think is just inspirational movies. So Very inspirational. Um, I think, unless there's stuff you want to talk about, which I don't think there is, because I feel like I've been dragging this over the finish line, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think we can move on to our awards, right? For the record, everyone, I do not hate all cap. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't hate Catholics. I, uh, uh, Sarah, what was this nominated for? Yeah, um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography Color, Best Editing, Best Original Score, and Best Sound. Very annoying category because the stuff i want to give it it isn't nominated for i will say it's gonna be really embarrassing if you pick this but the score has its moments but then it has moments like when gabriel is attacking her and it just plays like this it's very goofy it's a very quirky what is going on she's being attacked by this person and we're just like i i guess the context it does kind of make sense but it's also like i don't i don't get it it's foreshadowing to a different gabriel fight uh exactly uh i'll give it best cinematography but i do think the congo is shot really well um it's very vibrant um i think they're a lot of great options that it wasn't nominated for here. But yeah, for of these noms, I'll go with cinematography. I'll give it. I always do this. I'll just do it. I'll give it to I'll give it best actress because I think she deserves it. To be fair, I, I part of me before I was doing this, like, you know, I always think of what I'm going to give before we even have the discussion. And I kind of ruled her out because it's like. I was like, I assume she won a lot, but then I found out today on this recording she only won one competitive Oscar, which is kind of crazy. And this would be a fine one. I still can stick with cinematography. Well, we may we may see her again pretty soon. I don't know when because I have not looked that far ahead. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, this is a perfect type of role for an actor to like just dig into. Um, there are other people present but none of them are throughout the movie enough to like really distract and because so much of this movie is scenes without dialogue it just kind of elevates the parts of uh Hepburn's performance that are nonverbal so yeah it, she easily gets the uh gets the best actress i understand in a loaded year like 1959 why she didn't but if in our fake awards, I'll happily give her the uh, the the gold. In a way, I feel kind of bad that because I do think we're trashing this not anymore. But earlier, we were like, "Who's this woman who won this?" And maybe she was very good in that movie, but we'll never see it, you know. But it's just such a surprise that it's not the worst day. All right, Caleb, add a nomination. Ah, shucks, it's so hard with when there are eight. Um, I can think of three options. I didn't even like the movie. Go on. <laughs> no, I think I think there are a number of good, perf- like supporting performances in this, but none of them really stand out because they're all kind of short. 
So I guess I'll go with the only, uh, but, and I kind of like Peter Finch is fine, but if I gave it to him, I'd kind of only be giving it to him because he's Peter Finch. So I guess I'll give this to best costume design. That's one of my options. Not what I'm going like with, it, but it's good. The habits look like habits. I don't know what to give this, so I will give it best art direction. Another great option <laughs> that I was thinking of too. Um, the thing that I was ready to give it as the—that was what I was ready to give it as the win. Honestly, I assumed it was nominated because you know you got these gorgeous churches and you have the Congo. So I just assumed it was nominated for it, and then it wasn't. And I was like, what? Um, I'm not giving it that though, because I am going to give it to a supporting actor, but I am not going to give it to Peter Finch, even though I do think he's good in this. I'm going to give it to a guy we did not talk about much in the movie, and that is Dean Jagger, who plays her father. I think he makes the most of his scenes in this movie when it is he does show up. Uh, he's one of those types of actors who just kind of has a, the eyes that like give you a lot of emotion. And I just think he's very good in this. Um, he makes a lot of a little, so I'll go with Dean Jagger as my now. You guys are like, Dean Jagger was terrible. I'm sure he was right. fine. No, he was good. Alright, you guys ready for finding out what we're doing next time? Yeah, boy. Yes. Will it make me as as well, feel as many feelings? Very unlikely. <laughs> Uh, what I will say about this next one before I announce it is it is a um, very obscure movie because normally on any of these movies we watch, um, there's at least one. Of, I follow so many people on Letterboxd. There's at least one other person on Letterboxd who has logged it as a movie. Um, no one. I No one who has seen this movie on Letterboxd. It has less than three, less than 400 logs on Letterboxd, this film. Um, there's also no way to watch this film unless you find it somehow. Well, Wink. no, because I found it on a perfectly legal place. The Internet Archive is always <laughs> in the shady legal area when it comes no, to No, it films. isn't. It's fine. Okay, well, this film... Here's my hot take about piracy after I've talked about it. <laughs> um, I am very anti-piracy no matter what. Unless the film is not issued in the U.S., in which case this film has a VHS tape released in 1998. There is no DVD. There is no Blu-ray in the U.S. Um, this film was at the. It's our first film in the 60s. It appeared at the 33rd Academy Awards. Uh, can I have a drum roll, please? This film has seven nominations and no win, and it is titled. Pepe. The pig? No, Pepe. P-E-P-E. Oh, like the frog. Film... Yeah, like the frog. <laughs> it is a film starring Content Floss, who I've never seen, but I have heard of. Um, and I will be very honest and say I am not optimistic about this film. <laughs> Hopefully it is good. I am not. It is a 157-minute-long comedy. Oh uh, my word. Uh, it also got bad you know, reviews. It got <laughs> bad reviews at the time. I I I think we could I do you want to know what this is going into it? Because I'm not optimistic, or do we want to be surprised? 
Listen, I looked it up so that I could, I knew where to watch it, and all I'm seeing is pictures of a horse, and sometimes he's wearing a sombrero. So <laughs> it is a 2.8 average on Letterboxd. Uh, the I will read the letterbox description because it is long, so listeners know what we're getting into. Mario Contenflaws Moreno is a hired hand. Pepe, so his character's Pepe, um, employed on a ranch. A boozing Hollywood director buys a white stallion that belongs to Pepe's boss. Pepe, determined to get the horse back because he considers it his family, decides to go to Hollywood. He meets movie stars such as Jimmy Durant, Frank Sinatra, Zaza Gabor, Bing Crosby, Maurice Chevalier, and Jack Lemmon in drag as Daphne from Some Like It Hot. Great. I'm glad he's reprising the role. Um, <laughs> he is surprised by things that are new in America at the time, such as automatic swinging doors. He reaches the... Oh, okay. And then it spoils the rest of the movie. Uh, so I'll cut it off there. You gotta love a letterbox description that spoils the entire film. Uh, it's 157 minutes long. I hate this. <laughs> so... <laughs> Seven nominations. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, Danny. This is going to be a two-time speed movie. I, if I for me too, it will be very interesting trying to get through this one. I have no hope for it. Maybe it will surprise me. There are a lot of big. There are a lot of cameos in this movie. Looking at the page, so if we were to keep track of like our actor appearances, this this might boost some of them up. But uh, I'm not optimistic on the quality of the film at all. Uh, but who knows? Maybe one of us will defend Pepe. Wait, you know what the actual question is of this ceremony? Will we finally find a film that beats the affairs of Cellini? I think it's possible because this is an hour longer than it. <laughs> What's the Wikipedia page for Pepe look like? It's pretty empty. <laughs> Other than listing all the cameos. There are All right. a lot. Alright, um, play a free real actually, estate for factual uh, there, additions. There uh there is a um <laughs> the only thing on the production notes is basically the director apologizing for the movie being backed. <laughs> I hate you, Danny. Why did you talk me into doing this podcast? <laughs> I can't believe it has seven nominations. That that's crazy to me. Uh, I wonder what our runner-up would have been. Uh, maybe I'll I'll look that for next week. I don't need to look it up now. What our like runner-up uh film would be to talk about, but yeah. Um, I'm dating Vincent. <laughs> you can find me on Letterboxd and Blank. <laughs> um, you can also find my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, where we just did not talk about Pixar for quite a bit. We talked about Avatar two and VeggieTales for a while, and you know what? Very soon, Caleb will be guesting on it. I haven't told him that, but he will be coming on. I think he's our. I think he's ever two guests for now or three guests for now. You, you'll, you're on for February. Um, I figured it was coming up. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you can do all that stuff. But you'll hear I... me talk more about religion there. Usually, it, it comes up more often there. <laughs> I am Caleb from I am Caleb from Caleb from the Real World. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube at Caleb from the Real World. The, the name I just said. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts: Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, and All New Fifty Two, which I do with our editor Joe. Thanks, Joe. 
Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Where, what religion are you, Joe? <laughs> no. That, that'll be what I said whenever I'm finally on that podcast, because I keep asking to be slotted in. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's like an editor cameo where he says it. <laughs> I always love. <laughs> I guarantee I, I, you, he will not answer that I, question. I, I always love. I did. It's on both shows, you know. I, I, I this isn't me calling you out, Joe. This isn't me calling out Mark. But I will always be like, yeah, you can splice in the audio here, and the conversation just continues while I was acting. <laughs> like, great. I mean, it's fine. I don't care. I think it's kind of funny that it's not spliced in. Sorry, Sarah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you can find me on Letterbox. Just my name, Sarah Knopf. You can find me on Instagram. SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-Y-29. Um, you can find us on the Stump Club on Facebook, Stump Club, uh, Instagram, Stump Club Podcast, and Twitter, Stump Club Pod. All right. Um, happy New Year, everyone. And we'll see you next time with Pepe. Will it be <laughs> Le Pew? Man, not as much as the nun's pew. All right, this is stupid. This whole show is stupid. Why are you making me watch Pepe?